0: What's up everybody and welcome to episode 34 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host Brad Rowland, and today on the final day of the 2016 regular season you are stuck with only me. Uh, I apologize in advance for the solo pod but rest assured we'll be back in the future episodes with Very uh, star-studded guests, including next week we're planning on doing a Major League edition of our wrap-up podcast that we did last week with Eric Cole on the minor league side. If you did not listen to that podcast, that would be a good idea. Go ahead and do that if you want to catch up on the prospects. Most of this show and the next one are going to be focused on on the Major League stuff. So uh, if you want your minor league fix, go back and listen to that one. Uh, Today I'm recording this on a Sunday night, October the 2nd. Uh, also, the final day of the regular season, as I mentioned before, and uh, the, the final day in the history of Turner Field as an active Major League Baseball park. Uh, that's sort of the headliner today uh, at the end of the season. Considering you know the season, each each season ends, but not all, it's not every year that a uh, a stadium with 20 years of history goes away. So that's certainly the backdrop of today's podcast and really everything in Braves country today. Uh, a couple of highlights from the final game at Turner Field. First of all, the Braves won one to nothing, which I thought was poignant, um, dating back to the uh, the days in which the Braves dominated with pitching. Uh, and you know, a, a particularly uh, interesting moment there was before the game. Uh, John, John Smoltz, Tom Glavin, and Greg Maddox threw out the ceremonial first pitches together. Uh, much was made of that. It was very, very cool to see those three guys on the same field uh, tossing a baseball, even in a non-competitive setting. Uh, also, uh, I thought it was pretty funny that Eddie Perez caught Greg Maddox. Someone mentioned that on Twitter, that he was still his personal catcher, which I found to be hilarious and uh, perfect. Uh, Bobby Cox was back, as you might imagine, was uh, involved in the festivities. Uh, really just braves bracing from years past, You know, 20 years of history. Were uh, around. There's several memories that came to my mind uh, in watching all the festivities today. Um, you know, even if some of the ones in the playoffs were not terribly kind. Uh, you know, that's a lot of uh, A lot a lot's made of that from the outside As to, you know, whatever happened at Turner Field that was good But, um, you know, dating back to the Olympics Turner Field was once Olympic Stadium And there was very cool moments there uh, Including including Muhammad Ali lighting, lighting the torch Something that I'll, I'll never forget as an Atlanta resident And really everybody, I think, uh, that are sports fans Will never forget that moment uh, That took place in that same building Even if it wasn't called Turner Field yet uh, On the baseball side, you know You had the in, infamous infield fly game in 2012 came to mind right away Uh, on a a more positive note the Braves winning the NL pennant in 1999 they clinched that over the Mets at home and and, uh, made their way to the World Series before that unfortunate result took place uh, in the World Series. But, uh, you know, I can go on for days listing a bunch of uh, events that happened at Turner Field, and you've probably read some of those retrospective pieces uh, on the Internet in the last couple of days. But uh, just a flood of emotions, flood of memories as that park closes. I probably saw, you know, three, 400 games there, not exaggerating, uh, during the 20 years. Uh, the park opened uh, when I was 10 years old, just for a bit of reference as to how old I am. Um, so I, it was kind of my formative years as a baseball fan. Uh I, I I definitely attended games at Fulton County Stadium, but I was uh, a single digit uh person in the world, a child. Uh so you know, I do I did like I loved baseball back then, but in terms of uh, learning about the game, studying the game and the way that someone in my position now would uh, you know, sort of analyze things, uh all of that was done at Turner Field. So it's uh it, it's definitely interesting and uh you know, kind of, you know, not 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 regretful in the fact that I'm I'm pretty excited about Centris Park. I don't really get caught up in the, a lot of the negativity around SunTrust Park for the most part. But uh, Turner Field going away after 20 years was not something that I would have foreseen coming even even 10 years ago. So um, it was uh, you know not always the greatest place in terms of playoff success, but a lot a lot of positives happened at Turner Field. I'll, I'll choose to remember those more than uh, more than the negative stuff. Even if I could recite to you right now my top 10 most heart you know heart wrenching moments that occurred when I. Saw in the Turnerfield stands, we'll not we'll save that for a later date. But uh, it was uh, you know things closed down today with a, with a win in front of a fifty thousand plus uh, person crowd. It was rocking from start to finish. It was kind of a playoff atmosphere in a weird way at Turner Field for a game that didn't mean anything. But uh, you know obviously the sellout because it was the final game, and the visiting Detroit Tigers had a lot to play for. So I found it pretty pretty cool to watch the Braves play what was a meaningless game, but in a, a very meaningful way, and they treated it as such, and a nice post-game f- uh, festivities after that as well. Um, with that, we've not talked about the all-Turner Field team on this podcast, so that's worth mentioning the, uh, the way that the Braves the, the Braves announced the all-Turner Field team. Those guys were featured today uh, during the game. Uh, just for a quick reference, Javi Lopez at catcher, Freddie Freeman at first base, Marcus Giles at second base, Rafael for Cole at shortstop. Chipper Jones, of course, at third base in the outfield. Um, Brian Jordan, Andrew Jones, and Ryan Klesko. Uh, in, this, in a starting rotation, Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, John Smoltz, of course, Tim Hudson and Julio Tehran, and Craig Kimbrell as the team's closer. Oh, and Martín Prado as the utility man, as they invented a position to recognize Martín. That was nice, because I've always been a Prado fan. Um, without, without trying to de- dissect these too much, there were really only two spots that I found were kind of controversial, uh, One one less so than the other. A uh, shortstop, Rafael for call was I thought the right choice, but a lot of people wanted to know why Anderton Simmons was not recognized. Uh, for call played for longer and was a uh, maybe not a better peak player. Anderton's defense is you know legendary at this point, but for call was a very good defender, especially when he was younger in his own right. and he was a much better offensive player, so I was definitely cool with that one. Even if uh, some short-term Braves fans probably don't remember for call at his peak when he was very young. Uh, but the controversial one occurred in right field or Brian Jordan was the choice over the likes of uh, Gary Sheffield and Jason Hayward. Uh, again, this is not that serious, so I'm not going to break it down in, in huge detail, but Jordan really only played three years in terms of his peak years uh, in Atlanta. Uh, he accumulated 9.3 war during that time, according to Fangraphs. graphs uh, that uh, versus five years of Jason Hayward. Uh, Hayward was certainly more valuable if you accumulate all five years than Jordan and Sheffield. While he only played two years, was incredible in those two years. Uh, had 64 home runs and an OPS near a thousand. I thought either one of those choices would have been better than Jordan. Uh, should we know that Jordan is a uh, is an employee of Fox Sports South, who has the Braves and also is around the team a lot and is a popular figure in Atlanta. Given that he also played for the Falcons for a while, so it wasn't a shock to see him uh, anointed in that role. But I, I think a lot it took a lot of anal- uh, more anal- analytically com- in- inclined. Braves fans are back a bit to see him uh, as the choice ahead of Hayward and Sheffield. So worth noting there, uh, you know, I'm not going to rant and rave about it, but a lot of people wanted to address that. I got a couple questions about that in the mail back that we'll get to later. So uh, no, I did not agree with Brian Jordan as the choice. And no, I was not absolutely outraged by it either, because that's just kind of a silly thing to do. Uh, As for the final results of the Atlanta Braves this season, uh, today being the last game, of the year it's worth talking about what actually happened during the season Uh, at the end of the year the Braves finished with a 68 and 93 record uh, which was you know pretty much unfathomable a few months ago when this when this team was on pace for 110 losses early in the year Uh, they basically played 500 ball for a couple of months down the stretch which is very encouraging for the future Uh, it also generated a lot of buzz about Brian Snicker which we'll talk about in a second but uh, in the end, the Braves finished with the fifth worst record, given meaning that, that they are going to pick fifth in the upcoming Major League Baseball draft in 2017. That's going to be a disappointment for some people uh, that wanted the, uh, wanted the Braves to you know, pick first in the draft, and if not first, second to the Minnesota Twins, who sort of were the runaway uh, leaders by the end of the year. But the Braves finished so strong that they, uh, they jumped out of the top four into the number five slot. Uh, for me... Uh, that doesn't really kill you a lot. We, we did get a question from Clay Pickens on Twitter that basically asked, does it hurt you as much that we went from pick number two to pick number five by winning on Sunday? Uh, he uh, And he adds that he loves how the Braves have been playing but wanted a higher draft pick. This was a common refrain that we heard um, on Chalking Chop in the last couple of weeks as the Braves reeled off victories. Um, for me personally, it doesn't bother me at all, and even even some of our prospect guys. You know, ideally, you want you want to pick number one or number two versus number five if all things are equal. But uh, there's also something to be said for playing good baseball and uh, inspiring some culture there, uh, developing guys. Um, I'm not so much for the managerial angle that uh, for me, but uh, having young guys play well, etc. Just was, this was just a much better roster down the stretch than it was earlier in the year. Uh, adding guys like Swanson in the mix. Getting rid race, getting of race some of the dead weight like Eric Ibar and A.J. Brzezinski from earlier on in the year. It was just a better team. And they certainly played above their heads, I think, down the stretch. But at the same time, it's fun to watch that. And, you know, there's there's some concerns about bonus pool stuff for the draft. That's actually more of a concern for me than actually picking at five versus two. Um, but Copy and this group have been pretty creative as to how they use their bonus money uh, in the draft and even internationally, so uh, no, no real panic for me on going from two to five, even with the caveat that it certainly is better in a vacuum to pick at number two or number one than number five. Uh, again, we could panic about, we could panic about this. There's plenty of time to do that, but that will not be happening on today's show. With that, we can pivot to a little bit more newsy stuff. Uh, Sunday's game and all the festivities were certainly at the forefront, but uh, there were some other things that happened in the last week with regard to the Braves that were worth hitting on. Uh, earlier in the weekend, the Braves agreed to a two-year contract extension with Jim Johnson, relief pitcher Jim Johnson. That kind of came out of nowhere for me. Uh, it was a pretty surprising, you know, and a note that actually flew under the radar for a lot of people, given that you know it was in the midst of everything that was going on at Turner Field, but. Uh, a you know, pretty nice year for Jim Johnson this year. Uh, 20 saves as he picked up the closer role, uh, given the uh, injury stuff from uh, Aroides Fiscaino and others. Um, a 3.06 ERA for Johnson this year. A 2.71 FIP on the year, and those numbers were even better if you look at just the second half when he was playing a more prominent role and was healthy. Uh, also more than a strikeout per inning this year for Johnson. He is 33 years old, which is the concern for me is that you know, there, uh, just for for the record, at this point, at when I'm doing this podcast, we do not know the specifics of the financial stuff here. That could certainly uh, impact the way I think about this deal. If it's a very uh, co- a team friendly, cost friendly uh, contract, then sure. Johnson has proven to be a good pitcher when he's healthy and right uh, throughout his throughout his, uh, his career really. Uh, there have been some times where he's been downright awful when things are not mechanically right or health wise right. but uh, in general, he is a good relief pitcher. Um, and as long as it's not you know exorbitant money for both years, then I'll probably I'll probably be fine with this contract. It is worth noting though, it's just odd timing at the end of the year. You don't, you, don't, you don't normally see a two- year kind of extension like this. For a, a veteran reliever, that's not really a closer. Uh, he was been the closer for part of the season, but long term is not really a profile as that for a uh, for a contending team. If the Braves want to be that in the near future, so um, I got a question from Mark. I believe it's Kreetsberg. I'm sorry if I got that wrong. I tried my best on that one. Uh, he asks, with the JJ extension, do you see the Braves doing any more bullpen shopping this winter? Um, for the most part, I don't think this should really impact the Braves at all in terms of what they were already going to do. Um, Johnson was always going to be a candidate to come back, um, even if it's, if it's just to sign him to flip him later, which is a, a, you know, basically the copy special at this point in time. That still wouldn't be a surprise to me if, uh, for some reason, the Braves have uh, really liked Johnson this year and kind of didn't give him away in the same way they give a couple of other guys, but if uh, next year's not going the way that the, the way that they hope it would midseason and Johnson's pitching well you could certainly see him flip mid mid year and it might even be easier to do that now with another year on his contract if it's at a reasonable price um, I'd always be looking to sell high on relief pitchers in general that's something Copy does with basically everyone but in the bullpen uh, you know across the board that would be something I always I always advocated for a trade for K- Craig Kimbrell, for instance uh, prior to injury with with Viscaino, you know, I've advocated for trading him as well. Uh, relievers are generally overvalued. I believe that with uh, kind of all my heart at this point. So if Johnson is pitching well and you can get a king's ransom for him uh, and get an overpay from someone around the league, then by all means do that. But Johnson is a nice pitcher, a nice asset to have, a good veteran. There were lots of positive things that were said and reported by Mark Bowman in the aftermath of that contract uh, about Johnson and kind of the way that he's been an organizational fixture since he got here. So, no issues for me, provided the money is not out of control, and I have a feeling we won't know the specifics of the money for a little bit here. I could be wrong, and you know that could break the, between the hours that I have uh, record this and the hours that I post it. But uh, if we don't hear for Johnson contract stuff for a while, I'm going to assume it's reasonable until otherwise noted. Uh, the other big topic of news over the last few days had to do with the managerial search. Uh, again, Mark Bowman of LB.com, who uh, you know is the flagship Braves beat writer. Broke down the fact that the Braves uh, interviewed all uh, four internal candidates for the managerial job. Um, This is it was kind of an odd framing of this, but those four candidates are Terry Pendleton, uh, Eddie Perez, Bo Porter, and of course Brian Snicker, the current interim manager. Um, It was said by multiple reports that Terry Pendleton quote made an impression on the Braves brass for whatever that's worth. Uh, Pendleton's always been seen as a long shot to get the job in my view and really the views of most people that I've uh, heard on the situation. But for whatever that is worth, Pendleton, uh, sounds like he had a, a very good interview with the uh, front office guys. Um, Perez and Porter strike me as uh, courtesy interviews more than anything else. I can't fathom a scenario, especially given Snickers' uh, recent run here in which the Braves would hire Perez or Porter um, over Snicker. Uh, or and of course over any every other external candidate, I just can't see that possibly happening. Uh, it will be interesting to see if they do give the job to Snicker, if he's able, if he's able slash willing to keep any of these guys around on his staff. That's something to note um, down the line if it does happen. But um, you know the headliner here is Snicker, as I just said. Um, There's been a ton of stuff about Snicker uh, taking over as the manager. We got several questions I've addressed this on the last couple of episodes, but worth noting now that the season's over, um, there was really nothing Snicker could have done um, to convince me that he was the guy, uh, the undisputed guy. I'm all in favor of uh, giving Snicker a chance at the job in that um, giving him an interview or even an extensive interview if he's the one internal candidate. Or if it's Pendleton and Snicker, however they want to shake that out. I'm just really on board with the Braves looking outside the organization. At least doing some due diligence on a few people. Um, Even if it's not someone that has any ties to the Braves country. You know, Mark DeRose is a name you hear a lot. But Black's a name you've heard throughout the process. But even if it's a guy who's off the radar. Someone who's better tactically. That's always my concern with Snicker. It was always my beef with Freddie Gonzalez. Um, I will certainly admit that Snicker's reviews from the clubhouse have been off the charts. Uh, that's been a lot of the influence, I think of the fan base really falling in love with this idea of Snicker just taking over um, because of the fact that the players have been so uh, effusive in their praise for Snicker since he took over as the manager. Um, so you know, being a player's manager is just fine. It's always good when your players want to play for you and play well for you and like you. But in the end, I would really prefer a better tactical guy. It's not as if Snicker an absolute disaster in that area there's uh something to be uh you know desire he, he leaves something to be desired for me in terms of his line of construction stuff uh bullpen management he, he he's uh, pretty Pretty taxing on a few guys in the bullpen. There's there's been some issues. Nothing uh, glaring. I think I would argue that he's been better than Freddy Gonzalez. But, you know, small sample in effect there. And also the fact that this is a team that was not competing, um, that had an interesting roster at the same time, etc. So uh, I'd like to see Snicker over a full year to kind of evaluate really his tactical stuff from everything that we know about him now. I think it's safe to assume that he'll never be a great technical manager. Maybe a decent one, but not a great one. I'd rather have a guy who is going to be more mathematically inclined, etc. But it certainly seems as if the Braves are going to give Snicker a very long look at the very least. I'm just hoping they interview some other candidates and don't just hand him the job because that would be firmly, uh, something that I would not really endorse. So if snicker gets the job in the next couple of days or, you know, a couple of weeks, couple of months, I will definitely not be surprised at this point. There's been so much buzz that it's almost unavoidable. Um, but I'm, I'm firmly in the camp. That's, uh, not anti snicker, but anti giving him the job without a full interview process, including other candidates. That's uh, going to take us to the mailbag for today, uh, obviously on this solo pod. Um, there's, this is going to be a shorter episode, as you might imagine, but um, there are a few mailbag questions that I wanted to get to. Um, first comes from at Dan Antlers on Twitter. He asks, do you think Nick Marcakis is a Brave on opening day 2017? Um, I've flipped a little bit on this for a while there. I was firmly in the camp that I, w- I would have said no, and I wouldn't have thought about it otherwise. I would still trade Marcus this is me personally talking but if you're asking me if I think he's going to be on the team, I think it's 50 50 or, or something around there I think it's there's a very very good chance that Marcus is on this roster the Braves clearly love what he brings to the table. Um, there were some ups and downs uh, in terms of his performance this year but if the team is not willing not really you know ready or willing to uh, spend or uh, e- spend either with money or prospects in a trade, to get a big bat in the outfield. Um, They also might be hesitant to hand a job full-time over to Malik Smith, um, given that he's sort of duplicative with uh, Ender and Ciarte in a couple of ways that you wouldn't love. You don't only want one of those guys playing a corner, ideally, given their bats. Um, So I I think Markekis could be on this team next year. I would certainly trade him uh, now when he has... You know, if he has any value on the market, um, I would do that and look look at even if you didn't even if you didn't love Maleks and you want him to be a fourth outfitter, I'm fine with that too. But um, go, I'd rather go outside the organization um, for a for a bigger, more powerful bat um, if I was uh, looking, you know, ideal scenario. But Martakis could be here. That would not surprise me at all. Um, so I think it's different. My answer than the organizations, but given everything that we've seen and heard about the Braves and how they feel about Marque, uh no one should be surprised if he's still on this team next year. Next question comes from Ruben Mendali. I hope I got that right on Twitter. Uh, he asks, "How much pressure do you feel is on the Braves to trade for Chris Sale?" Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna add in a little bit here. I'm gonna say or any big time pitcher, um, considering how they how strong they finished in 2016. Uh, really, this is an interesting question. I got a couple of variations of this as to whether the success down the stretch here really changes anything for how the Braves should approach free agency or the trade market. Um, I, you know, in the end, I don't think that it should. Um, you know, it's nice that the Braves played well. I just don't think that they should be getting ahead of themselves. I think this is, this is going to be a, uh, a contender and really changing their mindset on the offseason. You're still looking at this, is still a rebuild. It's, uh, you're getting in the more advanced stages of it now. It's not a full tear it down anymore. You want to be better next year. There's no question about that. But going out and, you know, doing an overpay on a trade uh, for the short term is not a great thing. I'm, I'm all in favor of packaging assets. If you want to go out and get Chris' sale, sure. I just don't think that's going to be something that, um, you know, he, he termed it, how much pressure do the Braves feel? I can't imagine, or I'm hoping they don't feel pressure to do that. If they think it's a good asset move, uh, if they think that sales contract and it's a great contract would be worth adding, uh, or a guy like that, or Chris Archers, is some of those names that you're hearing of uh, you know, cost-controlled guys for a number of years, that's the kind of guy that I'd love the Braves to target in a trade. But I don't think the pressure ramps up any more than it already is um, just because the Braves played better in the second half of the season. Tying in with that last question from Ruben, uh, there's a next question from Janine on Twitter. Uh, and she just asked, uh, very simply, do you think the Braves contend in 2017? And she adds, the second half is very promising. Uh, this is something, it's obviously going to be a theme of the podcast uh, in the, during the offseason as we follow each and every move. That will certainly happen. We're not going away, I should be noting. Uh, during the offseason, we might take a week or two off here or there, um, considering concerned There'll be weeks that there's not really a lot going on, but at the same time, uh, we will not be going away entirely. We'll be, we'll be keeping updated, and that should be noted. But um, in terms of contending in 2017, I don't think this is going to be uh, a contender in terms of winning the World Series. Uh, it would take a, a you know more than one significant move. And um, talking about, when I say significant, really significant move in order to put this roster in a place where I think they would be a legitimate contender to win the World Series. Um, being a playoff contender, you know fringe playoff contender maybe is more possible. I still think that's uh, something that's down the line at another, an extra year. Um, in this with this current roster um, barring a couple of you know massive moves, I would be projecting somewhere in the uh, I think you're looking more um, as, uh, more of a as 500 being a more realistic goal than, than actually making the playoffs. Um, again, it will, t- it will certainly matter as to what else happens with this team. Whether it be free agency or trades, et cetera. but the current roster with a few, you know, minor tweaks for the better could be, you know, somewhere in that, you know, high seventies to maybe low eighties win total. That seems pretty reasonable to me with some with some progression in a couple of areas. But playoff contender, really, kind of a stretch. And World Series contender is is very much of a stretch. And I know what I know. Braves fans are going to get very excited about the way this this season ended. But at the same time, it's is even with that excitement. This is still a 500 team um, for the last couple of months, not a you know not a 600, 700 team. Uh, so even if everything goes according to plan and Swanson's good and uh, the pitching takes a step forward, etc., is there's a long way to go here. So 2018, sure. Well, we could talk about 2018 and being a legitimate contender. That's a more reasonable projection. But next year will be fun. It'll be a lot more fun than this year in terms of the major league club, I would imagine. Uh, at least, at least in the first half of the year, uh, the second half was just was you know more entertaining, but still not ideal. But at the same time, it's going to be uh, a lot a lot to talk about before any of that actually happens. Uh, the last question uh, that we're going to talk about today um, comes from Colin Falls, and he asks very simply: Are you as sad as I am that the season is over? Um, Yes and no, uh, on this side of things, covering the Braves this season at the, from the Major League standpoint was not always a pleasure, I have to say. Um, it's not as if this is my full-time job, for those of you that don't know that. Uh, this is a, uh, I, am, I do a lot of sports writing, that's something that I certainly do uh, regularly in a couple of different outlets, but not my full-time gig, I'm not there every night, so that's uh, I uh, don't have the same challenges that traveling beat writers would have had with this team, but at the same time... You know, watching this team, uh, especially early in the year, was was a chore. A lot of nights um, at the major league level, the minor league stuff um, is more fun. Uh, That's not really my area of expertise. I'll be the first to admit that, and I've said that on this podcast a number of times. I lean heavily on guys like Eric and Garrett and and our minor league staff, but you know. This this season was a fun one in general, I would say. The prospect stuff was a lot of fun. The draft stuff that I got to do and a lot of this a lot of our coverage uh, was draft related because of the way that the Braves spent big on the draft. They spent big in international stuff that kept it spicy uh during the times where the major league team was really struggling and then down the stretch the major league team was kind of fun again. So it was a lot more a lot more entertaining. Guys like Dansby Swanson getting promoted was a lot of fun. Um seeing guys that we've been waiting for, like Folti taking a little bit of a step forward. Julio Tehran being more fun and better, much, much better this year. It was nice to see. Um, Ender Ciarte is a joy to watch on a nightly basis. He's a guy I think about when I think about this team – in 2016, is just Ender was lights out. From you know, he's kind of struggled with the bat early, but his defense was always there. His effort was always there, and by the end of the year, he was really lighting it up at the plate. Uh, and of course, Freddie Freeman, uh, easily the best season of his career, uh, can't be overstated how good Freddie was. I think he was a legitimate top five MVP guy in the National League. I'm not sure he'll finish there, given how bad the Braves record was, but that's not his fault. Freddie was lights out um, from basically after the first three weeks of the year. he was the best he was the best player in the national league if you just take those stats and ignore the first month. So uh, yeah, it's uh, that's how good uh, there, was, there were some positives. there were some negatives., uh, we could dwell in the negatives as much as you'd like. But uh, I'm, I'm sad the season's over. It's always fun uh, to have baseball in my life. And, and I, I I think I speak for everybody at Talking Chop to say it's always better when the season's going and when it's not. But there is stuff to look forward to. It's always good to have a couple of uh, weeks to recharge a little bit um, before you know the hot stove gets kicked up and we can sit back and watch. We, there's still baseball to be watched. It just doesn't involve the Braves, and I like baseball in general. So that's uh, something that I'll be doing. Uh, I know not every Braves fan will be following the playoffs intently, but I'll be locked in. On baseball. So baseball season's not quite over yet for me, but brave the brave season's over and uh what that's a good thing about uh having a, a an up up and coming rebuilding team is that the future is the focus. There's no question about that. 2016 was never gonna be a banner year for the major league club. So 2017's the focus 2018, 2019 and beyond the new ballpark next year will give us something to talk about. Uh Sun Trust is gonna be a nice facility and uh, hopefully it generates some extra revenue that the Braves can spend on players, and in order to improve the team and uh, improve the chances of being a World Series contender, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I'm certainly, sad the season's over. It's just uh, almost at the end of the year. It's also a marathon, so uh, getting a little bit of rest and recuperation uh, to look forward to the future is not a bad thing in any way, shape, or form. Uh, for, with all of that said, uh, that's going to wrap up for today's podcast. I uh, am extremely grateful uh, to everyone who subscribes and listens to the podcast on a regular basis. We've done a lot of growth uh, this season, from just from April to now. Uh, this podcast has really really grown in terms of listenership, so thanks to you guys for doing that, subscriptions and all of that. If you have not subscribed to the podcast, please do us a favor and go ahead and do that. Um, also on iTunes, if, you, if, that's, if that's your provider of choice, leave us a five-star review. That really helps us to grow the show, get people uh, to really buy into what we're doing here, and help us to also grow the website if you're a big fan of chalkychop.com, which hopefully you are. That's how you found this podcast. Uh, I, I, really, The podcast growing more will only help the product on the site as well. Uh, also, thanks to everybody who came on the podcast with me during this season. Carlos Collazo, uh is the uh, the founding father with me of this podcast, but also Eric Cole and Scott Coleman were regular guests. Uh, a couple of uh, you know quick quick appearances from guys like Chris Willis and Demetrius Spell our Talking Chop co-managers, uh, the minor league guys, Ivan, for coming on. There's several people and also non-Talking Chop staff like Zach Dillon like Zach Dillard, Joe Lucia, Grant McCauley, 92.9. There's a bunch of guys who came on, and I appreciate everybody for doing that. Uh, thanks, as always, guys, for listening. We are not going anywhere again. I'll be back. Uh, we'll look at it next week. I'm assuming we'll be back next week to wrap up the Major League season in a more in-depth way than today's podcast, hopefully with a guest that I have in mind. So uh, stay tuned for that. Thanks again for listening. And as always, stay tuned, and uh, 2017 will be here before you know.